Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back into the Above the Rim podcast, where we talk nothing but the hottest topics in the NBA. I am your host, Tyler, here, and it is Tuesday, December 29th. I hope you all had a very Merry Christmas and good time spent with all of your families, if you were able to, of course. And we are officially one week into the season, so we have a packed show for you today. I will talk to you about some of the things that have caught my eye so far this season, some of the observations that I've had so far. We will also play a little game I like to call Big Deal or No Deal. It'll be the first time we play it of the season, so I'm very excited for that. And then we will also get into some games to look forward to a little later on this week. So with all of that out of the way, let's just get this thing going. And with that, we will start with my big observations of the first week of the NBA season. There are three key observations that I had. And number one, let's just get it out the way. Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving look damn good. And so do the Brooklyn Nets. Now, There are a lot of questions going into this season of whether or not people think this team's ready to contend right now, and people didn't want to overreact to the preseason. I was one of those people, although I kind of did, and it turns out everyone who overreacted was right in doing so. The KD and Kyrie chemistry is for real. Um, They are certainly best friends off of the court, and you can tell on the court, and something about them that not a lot of people are talking about this year is both of them kind of look like they have an edge to them this season. They both kind of look like they have a little something to prove. Obviously, Kevin Durant coming off the Achilles injury probably wants to prove that he can get back to his old form. And you have Kyrie Irving, who's heard all of the hate the last few years, honestly, and he's coming out with a different look in his eye. The team looks very serious, led by their two leaders, KD and Kyrie. And if we could just talk about KD for a second, I am just, I'm amazed. I am absolutely amazed at how good Kevin Durant looks. Now, I did expect him to regain pretty much all of his form throughout the season, but I did not think it would come this fast. Now, he did have about 550 days off, about 18 months to recover, a lot longer than some other players have had. But either way, I mean, it's an Achilles injury. You don't know really what to expect from players coming off of this injury. And I think it's huge the way Kevin Durant has played. I think he can definitely be an MVP candidate this year. He can put himself up there. And to me, he might not be there quite yet, but this year it looks to me like he is going to regain his number two spot in the NBA amongst best players in the NBA behind one LeBron James. So Kevin Durant, I cannot believe how good he has looked. And let's be honest. Yes, he can shoot. Yes, he's about seven feet tall and those are all great, but If Kevin Durant comes back from this Achilles and he regains his old form, which a lot of people are saying he looks like he's already there, I think that's doing a disservice to how great he was before this happened. He's not there yet. But what we've seen so far leads us to believe, or leads me to believe, that he can get there before the season's over. Obviously, there's a lot of timing things that he's got to work out, a lot of chemistry things, getting back to the playing games. I think it's a far stretch to say in the first four games of the season he looks like the old Kevin Durant. I'm not going to go that far, but he definitely looks like he can regain that form, and he's looked really good. And to be honest, he has an opportunity to kind of wash away the stigma behind the Achilles injury. You know, 
I feel like every time a player goes down with an Achilles injury, it sounds like we basketball pundits and fans kind of have a little funeral for that person. You know what I'm saying? It's kind of like, oh, you know, like, I don't really know if your career will ever be the same. So you kind of have like a little a little mental funeral for him. And I certainly was one of those people for Durant because you just don't know. But right now, he's turning the tide on us. And if he can come back strong, maybe it changes the way that people view the Achilles injury. And it's not just him because we all know he's a freak of nature and his jump shot is insane. He's one of the best offensive scorers in NBA history, probably one of the best this generation, probably down to him and James Harden when it comes to getting buckets this generation. But he has a chance. Him and John Wall have a chance to really end this stigma. And John Wall, especially, not to get off topic here, but he will have the same chance once we see him play. And I just can't believe how effortlessly it's looked for Kevin Durant. I mean, pulling up from three like it's nothing. He still has that dribble pull up from 30. That looks the exact same as it did before the injury. And really, if Kevin Durant's going to be the real deal, let's just tell it how it is. If he's going to be the real deal, the Brooklyn Nets are going to be the real deal as well. Now, they did suffer a big injury earlier this week, or was it last? I think it was this week. Yeah, Monday night, I believe. No, Sunday night. It was actually Sunday night. They did sustain a big injury to their lineup, and we'll get into that a little bit later on in the show when we talk about big deal or no deal. But so far, I mean, the Brooklyn Nets look really good, and one thing that's caught me by surprise is they are top three in defense through the first week of the season, and they've played some good offenses now. All right, Steph Curry and the Warriors are not no scrubs. Kelly Oubre, Andrew Wiggins, we all know those guys can put the ball in the cup. Now, they haven't as of late, but we all know that they can, and we know sure as hell no Steph Curry can. And then when you talk about the Boston Celtics, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, I mean, those boys can put up some points as well. And just the way that the defense played against those two teams to start off the season was amazing. They are top three in defense, and as you all know who have listened to the podcast, that is my one concern with this team is the defensive end because we all know on offense, KD, Kyrie, Karis LeVert, Joe Harris, they're going to be probably a top five, maybe top three offense in the league this year. Everything's really going to come down to their defense and how they play defense. And I don't think they're going to stay in the top three all year. I think that's a bit much to ask because there's not a lot of defenders on this squad. But if you're going to ask them to possibly be in the 10 or the 15 range, I think that's doable for them. And I think this first part of the season, this first week, has really shown that they do have that capability. And it's going to be interesting to see what they do with that defensive side of the ball. Because you think about Steve Nash, you think about Mike D'Antoni. They're not real defensive guys. They're not real defensive coaches. So everyone was kind of right to point that out as maybe something they were a little suspicious about. You know, no defensive coaches, not, not very good one-on-one defensive players, but hey, Kevin Durant is an above-average defensive player, and he has regained that form as well as his offensive form, which might be even a little more impressive because we all know Kevin Durant, seven feet tall, he can shoot the lights out. Even if he lost a little bit of athleticism, he can still shoot the lights out, but what has really impressed me is the defensive end. I mean, he's getting up, he's blocking shots, and he looks great, and so do the Nets. The Nets look like they are going to be every bit of what people thought they would be this season. And we'll just have to see how it all plays out. But so far, so good for the Brooklyn Nets and Steve Nash. Steve Nash might actually be well on his way to winning Coach of the Year if they keep this up. Now, with my second observation so far through the first week of the season, we got to talk about Kevin Durant's old team. 
Yes, the Golden State Warriors. They started out so far one and two, and it kind of looks like they might not even be a playoff team this season. Now, I'm going to hang in there. I have them getting that eighth seed. I do think they can and will make the play-in tournament just because I'm going to hang in there. I'm not going to jump off yet. It's only been a week, but from what I've seen, the Warriors might be a little worse than I even thought, and a big reason why. Well, you know Steph Curry. He struggled a little bit through the first two games the game against Chicago the other night, he did kind of find his rhythm. He was hitting threes again, but his other guys, look at Kelly Oubre and Andrew Wiggins. Kelly Oubre, these are the people that are supposed to be kind of replacing Klay Thompson this season. Now, we all know they went out and traded for Kelly Oubre after the Thompson injury got out. So what has Oubre done for the Warriors? He's 0 for 17 from the three. I mean, that's bad. I'm pretty sure I could suit up right now and at least hit one three. I mean, zero for 17 is bad, and it's a bad look for the Warriors, and it's a bad look for Ubre, who, by the way, is on a contract season. So I figured that he would do everything in his power to really ball out this year, especially before the season when he was talking all that talk, saying that he believes he can fill those shoes, not fully, but to a certain degree. Well, I'm going to tell you, Ubre, zero for 17 is not going to get it done for this team. And then you look at Andrew Wiggins. He's four for 13 from the three, and all of this adds up to one thing for the Warriors. Things are going to be very hard for Steph Curry this year. He's not going to get many open looks because if you've watched the game so far, teams are not afraid at all of Andrew Wiggins. I mean, they're not even guarding him at the three, which is, I mean, if you're Andrew Wiggins, come on now. Come on now. It's time. If not now, when? If not this team, then when is it ever going to happen for you? And teams are literally just leaving him open, and they're focusing all of their time and effort on Steph Curry. And Curry, we know him as someone to be a little injury-prone. This could lead to him breaking down a little bit later on in the season because he's having to do so much. And I know a lot of people say, oh, you know, well, then Curry ain't this or he ain't that because he can't lead a team by himself. Man, that's bull jive, you know? Ain't no no team out there, can no guy out there can lead a team by themselves. Not in today's NBA it just doesn't happen. You have to have two. And if Ubre or Wiggins aren't going to meet Curry up there, at least to give him some type of competence from the three-point line and some type of put some type of fear into the defenses, then it's going to be a long season for the Warriors. And it's definitely going to be a long season for Steve Kerr. And how the mighty have fallen with the Golden State Warriors. Now, I do think we do need to pump the brakes a little bit. We have not seen Draymond Green at all this season. Not at all, so that's one thing for the Golden State Warriors. I think once he gets back out there, a lot of people forget all of the little things that Draymond does that helps winning that not a lot of players today are willing to do, but Draymond does them. And we all know that Draymond is the heart and soul of that team. Let's just call it what it is. Steph Curry is the best player on the team, but when it comes to who's the leader, it's Draymond Green. And right now, with Ubre and Wiggins stinking it up the way that they have, Steph Curry's not the guy that get in those guys' face and demand more. But Draymond Green is that type of guy. So right now, we just kind of have to wait and see what happens till Draymond gets back. But I do got to say, this team is looking, looking like they might not make the playoffs. And that's a pretty big fall because you look at the roster, I don't think it's horrible. Now their bench, their bench is horrible. But you look at their starting five, it's not, it's not horrible. You can name a lot of other starting fives in the NBA that you think are worse. You know? But... When you're asking Steph Curry to do as much as they're going to ask him to do this year, 
it's going to be tough for the Warriors. And you saw Steph Curry after the loss to the Bucks on the bench, you know, not looking very happy. And he had the same look night one against the Nets, not looking very happy. You know, when you get blown out in the first two games of the season against com- comparable teams, it'll do that to you. You know, this is a guy that's used to winning. He's used to being in the championship hunt, in the championship picture. And then if getting blown out the first two games of the season wasn't enough, I mean, beating the Chicago Bulls off of a Damian Lee buzzer beater is not going to instill confidence in anybody on this team. This team's going to be something to watch, but my first week observations are they are really going to struggle this season. And by struggle, I mean it might be an uphill battle for them to even get to 500. Now, obviously, we'll have to see how it all shakes out, but that's just what it looks like so far the first week of the season. And with that, we move on to my third and final key observation of the first week of the NBA season. And this one's pretty simple. And it is that James Harden is still that dude. (laughs) I don't know if you guys watched the game Saturday against the Portland Trailblazers, but James Harden scored 44 points in Portland. And we all know, we've seen the photos, he's not even in shape. Looks like he came in about 15, 20 pounds overweight, but he's still got 44 points, 17 assists on 43 minutes. I mean, that's ridiculous. And James Harden proved that, hey, He's still that dude, and one good thing about about it for the Rockets is this. This ups his trade value, where it seemed like his trade value was kind of going down a little bit because of the way he was misbehaving and the way he was handling everything with the COVID NBA protocol and all that. It looked like his value was going down a little bit. Well, now with a performance like that from a guy who's not even in shape right now, his value is going to skyrocket, and if you were the Rockets and you were even thinking of pulling off a trade without getting a star player in return, you definitely are not thinking the same thing anymore because James Harden, like I said, he's still that dude. I'm pretty sure in the future when you look up bucket in the dictionary, it might have a picture of James Harden in it. I mean, he is a bucket personified. Like I said earlier in the podcast, he is one of the best offensive players of this generation, no doubt about it. And putting up 44 in an overtime game, even though they lost, But putting up 44 in the first game of the season when the dude hasn't even really been at training camp and putting up 43 minutes and 17 assists, I mean, he really does run up the stat sheet. And it just reaffirms the teams that, hey, if you feel like you are one piece away, James Harden could be that piece. With Giannis signing his deal in Milwaukee, he's obviously off of the board when it comes to free agency next season. And you got Kawhi Leonard, who's on the board for free agency next season, but... A lot of people believe that he's going to stay in L.A. I mean, it would make sense. He worked so hard to get out to L.A., so why would he leave after just two years? When you look at all that, James Harden is the prized piece on the market right now. And I think as the season goes along, if James Harden continues to play like this, if he continues to show up professionally, which I will add, Saturday night against the Portland Trailblazers, he was talking to his teammates a lot more. He was being a leader. He didn't look out of it. He didn't look out of it. I don't know if he's accepted the fact that maybe he's going to be there a a bit longer than what he would like. But right now, that's what it's looking like. But right now, all he needs to continue to do is do things like this. And later on in the season, maybe through the first quarter of the season, teams that are struggling that weren't expecting to struggle could pull a trigger on a big-time trade to get him there. I mean, he is still one of the best players in the NBA. And as I said, if you feel like you're one player away, 
He could be that guy that gets you over the hump. It'll certainly be interesting to watch all season, but I was pretty flat out amazed at how he played Saturday night. I mean, he's gotten a lot of hate from a lot of people across the sports world for how he's behaved. And if you want to shut people up, that is how you do it, James Harden. And it's all the better for the Rockets, even though I don't think it's quite as good for James Harden. Now let me explain why. James Harden, while he was misbehaving and the value was going down, you could possibly see him getting moved a little bit sooner. Now that he's going to play and he's going to put up numbers like this, I believe, let me look up his second game, but I believe he had a great second game as well. Somewhere in the 30-point range. Let me just look real quick. Sorry, excuse me, guys. Let me just check it out. Yeah, last night against the Denver Nuggets, James Harden put up 34 points, 6 rebounds, and 8 assists. So if he's going to continue to do this, then there's going to be a lot of teams desperate in the future trying to trade for him. And it's better for the Rockets, but it might not be good for him because, hey, you know, the Rockets are not going to settle for anything less than a star player and just a massive haul. It's been reported that they want a haul quite like the Lakers gave up for Anthony Davis. So if that's the case... He might just have to hang tight for a little bit and wait till some of these teams get a little desperate and start thinking that the team that they have that's currently constructed might not compete for a title. So it'll all be interesting to see how this all plays out, but definitely James Harden caught my eye the first week of the season. I mean, he is still that dude for sure, and he can change lives for a lot of teams out there. We'll just have to wait and see what happens. With my three key observations from the first week of the NBA season now out of the way, it is time to get into our first big deal or no deal of the NBA season. And let's start with none other than the Los Angeles Clippers. I'm sure all of you know by now, they got ramrodded by the Dallas Mavericks Sunday afternoon after they had really Two great, impressive wins for opening night against the Lakers and then Christmas night against the Denver Nuggets. Two big wins to start the season against the two top teams in the Western Conference last year. So you started to think, hey, you know what? This team might be turning a corner. Then they played the Mavs Sunday afternoon. Kawhi Leonard not playing, of course. And they just got thumped. They were down 50 at halftime. It was 77 to 27. And then the rest of the game, they showed absolutely no fight, ended up losing it, I believe, by 51 points. And I, we got to ask ourselves, is this a big deal or no deal? And to me, if you're going to ask me, this is a big deal. All right? It is a big deal. It's not a big deal that they got blown out. None of that, but it's a big deal in the manner of which it happened. Look, you can't be down by 50 points at halftime. If you want to be a championship caliber team, I want people to go look back because I think it's going to be very hard to find. I want people to go look back in history and just find one team that has won the NBA championship after losing a game by 51 points at any point in the NBA season because I don't think you're going to find that team. And if the Clippers have championship aspirations, this is just not how you want to play. I mean, they got thumped. I'm looking at the final score, 124-73. to 73. Now, it's one thing to start a game getting blown out, and I know you've heard this across the airwaves all over the sports world this week, but it's the truth. It's one thing to get blown out. You're going to get blown out by 25 points, 30 points, here and again. It's, it's a long season. It's going to happen. Sometimes you just don't bring it. 
But in the third game of the season, you're going to lose by 51? And the most troublesome part to me, which is why I think this is a big deal, is the fact they were down by 50 at half and they did nothing to climb back in it. Nothing at all. They just kind of caved and gave up. And it's, it is basically what they did last year. They, this is a team that has no leadership that definitely showed Sunday afternoon. Because who, who's going to be the guy that stands up and says, this is bull. We need to do something about this, and this is bull. We don't need to come back and win, but damn it, we need to come back and make a push and show that we have fight. And it just goes to show that this team has the same problems as last year. They have no heart. Where is their heart? They're led by a guy in Kawhi Leonard that's not a verbal leader, which I'm fine with. You don't need to be in the NBA. But he's also someone I think it's fair to question his heart. He doesn't play if he feels the slightest bit discomfort. He always chooses to sit rather than push through and play. The greatest leaders in the NBA and in NBA history have always played through little knick-knack injuries. Kawhi Leonard's not one of them. And even though I will give him a pass for missing this game because of the big shot that he took to the mouth by Ibaka, I still don't like the fact that he missed the game. I mean, unless you're telling me he was in concussion protocol, which I heard nothing of, if that's the case and he wasn't cleared to play, well, then so be it. But if that was Kobe, do you think he's going to play? Hell yeah, he's going to play. If that was Michael, is he going to play? Hell yeah, he's going to play, especially after all of the criticism that Kawhi has taken about being a leader and being the face of load management. I figured that he would come out, he would toughen up, he'd show some leadership to his teammates, and he would play. And I think, I don't think it's a stretch to say that his teammates might have been a little turned off of the fact that he chose not to play. I, I, I mean, it's it's one of those things where I think it is a big deal. Now, if he just won the championship, no, it's not a big deal. But when you're coming off the criticism that you had last year of being someone that gets to choose when he wants to play and when not to, I felt like it would have been a big boost for this team had he toughened up and just played. You don't need to go 100% out there, but you need to suit up and you need to show up for your teammates and really show them that this year is different. And he had a chance and he didn't do it. And for that, I think he does deserve some criticism, although I do kind of pause because... That hit to the mouth was pretty big, and he was bleeding quite a bit that Christmas night game. And another thing to be concerned about with the Clippers, let's just call it what it is. This goes on with their leadership, their top two guys. Paul George, after having two great first games of the season, turned back into Pandemic P in the third game, and he just continues to say head-scratching things to the media. Night one, he told the media, hey, you know what? When you're a star player and you get preferential treatment, that's just what it is. You just got to deal with it if you're other teammates. Well, when your teammates have problems with that, then you need to handle that question better. That's not how you answer that question. That was a head-scratching thing I noticed from night one. And then after Sunday, he said the loss Sunday was no big deal. Losing by 51 points to a team without Kristaps Porzingis a team that is 0-2 in the season so far when they played you, is no big deal. I don't know what Paul George is thinking here. Right? This is not a guy you want to lead your franchise. Now, I'm always someone who's believed he's a better 3 than a 2, and this is why. He just says some really head-scratching things, and quite honestly, I'm a little surprised he didn't blame the loss on anybody. He did take it and say, you know, this one's on me. I was leader of the team tonight. So that that's a guess that's improvement, but to say that this is no big deal, after what happened last season, 
it is a big deal. And one thing he said going into the season was, hey, I've listened to a lot of Kobe motivational speeches all offseason to get me going. Well, I would ask Paul George, man, do you think Kobe Bryant would feel like losing by 51 points is no big deal? No. He would be disgusted. And quite frankly, if you're Paul George, you should be too. And this is why they have no leadership. Who's going to call who out when they're not showing up? I don't see it on this team. And for those of you that thought it would be Ty Lue, newsflash for you, it clearly will not be Ty Lue either because he just let this thing happen. And if you're the Clippers, I think this is this is a big deal. This is a big deal because it shows me the same weakness that they had last season, which is, hey, we will get up and play when we want to get up and we'll turn it on when we want to turn it on. And the fact of the matter is, this is not a team that can play the on and off switch game. They don't have an on switch. Last year, they tried to do it and they tried to turn on the lights only to find out that they hadn't paid the electricity bill and the lights wouldn't turn on. Little things matter, folks. The little things matter. The bills that you pay off throughout the beginning of the regular season, throughout the first practices of the season, they pay off when it comes time to pay off. And this team, they had two big wins to start the season, started getting a little fool of themselves, came into Sunday thinking, hey, you know, Dallas is a team that struggled the first two games. They're 0-2. We should just come in here and roll them. That's not what happened. And again, they do not want to play the on and off switch game. It's a very dangerous game to play as they learned last season. And to me, this is a very big deal. We'll just have to see how it all plays out throughout the season. Now we move on from a team that is trying to contend for a championship to a team that's probably just trying to contend to get in the playoffs to begin with, and that would be the Washington Wizards. They have started off struggling with a 0-3 record. They lost to the Philadelphia 76ers game one. I believe that score was 113 to 107. And then they lost to the Magic twice, the first time being 130 to 120 and the second time being 120 to 113. Now, is this a big deal or no deal? And I got to tell you, I'm I'm somewhere in the middle with this one because I still am not going to move the Wizards out of my playoff prediction. I do think they could get either that 7 or 8th seed because the bottom of the East is just really weak. It's it's really really weak, but where I am kind of in the middle and where this could be a big deal is the fact that hey, I don't think the Magic are going to be a playoff team this year. And the Wizards lost to them twice. I don't have a problem with the Wizards losing to the 76ers. As you all know, I think the Sixers are going to go to the finals out of the East. So I have no problem with that. But losing to the Magic twice at home, even though there's no crowd, but at home, that's a big deal because that that they're not a playoff team. And if you're the Wizards, if you really want to make a run and get in the playoffs here, you're going to have to beat up on the teams that you're supposed to beat up on. And if you're asking me, the Magic are a team the Wizards are supposed to beat up on. So in that case, it's a big deal. But in a case of it's no big deal, is they're only 0-3. There's a lot of season to play. Westbrook and Beal are new together. Westbrook didn't play last game against the Magic. So there's a lot of things to iron out with this team. But I don't think it's a good sign that they're 0-3. I would love to see him at least get one of those games against the Magic. And where there, where this becomes a big deal for the Wizards is that Scott Brooks. 
he could be he could be coaching for his job. Now, when you go out and make a move to get Russell Westbrook to Washington to pair up with Bradley Beal and you move on from John Wall, you're doing this to try to make a playoff push, right? That is why you make big trades like that. And if Scotty Brooks does not get this team to the playoffs this season, he's going to be gone. And where this becomes even a bigger deal for the Wizards is that if they continue to struggle this season, say say we're midseason and they're not even anywhere near the playoff picture. They're like they're not, there's no chance for them making it. It looks like they're out. Well, then Bradley Beal is going to start having some serious conversations about getting out of Washington. And if you're Washington, you went and got Westbrook to try to appeal to Beal to get him to stay. Everyone in the NBA is waiting for Bradley Beal to say the words, I request a trade. It hasn't happened yet. He's given this season a chance, but make no mistake about it. If this team struggles throughout the first part of the season and they don't look like a playoff team, even a seven or eight seed, Bradley Beal could well be on his way out and it wouldn't surprise me. So for that, on the Washington side, it is kind of a big deal. But if you're asking me, I'm somewhere in the middle because they're still 0-3. And even though those things are big, it's early in the season. We're one week in. Like I said before, Russell Westbrook and Beal need time to iron out how to play together. They have looked good at times. I mean, Bradley Beal's looked amazing. Can can we just say Bradley Beal's looked amazing? Against the 76ers, this is what Bradley Beal did. He had 31 against the Sixers in 36 minutes. Game two against the Magic, Bradley Beal just put up, you know, a pedestrian 39, 7, and 5 in 37 minutes. And then in Game 3 against the Magic, Bradley Beal went ahead and put up 29-5-7 in 39 minutes. So Bradley Beal is not the problem here. The problem with the Wizards that I'm looking at is their defense. And not even Westbrook's the problem. I mean, Westbrook had a nice Game 1. I'm looking at his stats here. He had 21-11-15 and in 36 minutes. That's what he's going to do. He said he wanted to get back to playing OKC-style Westbrook. Well, that's what OKC-style Westbrook did. He got triple-doubles. He put his teammates in positions to succeed, and he's going to do that. And then game two against the Magic, he had 15, 15, and 12. So that's what he's going to do. But the glaring thing with this Wizards team is the defense. I mean, you give up 113 points to the Sixers, and then you turn around and give up 130 to the Magic, and then you turn around and give up 120 to the magic i mean this defense has got to tighten up they'll have a chance tonight they do play the bulls that is a game where i believe they should win and if they don't win that game then it it, it might be time to panic a little bit with the wizards because you just gotta wonder with putting up performances like this how much of this is beal really going to take and that's another thing going into the james harden thing Going into the James Harden storyline is, hey, some of these teams might be looking at Bradley Beal as a better fit for their squad, like the Miami Heat, who have interest in Bradley Beal, who have shown interest in Bradley Beal, and they could just be waiting to see what happens with that situation before they try to go all out for James Harden. So everything kind of plays hand in hand, and that's what makes this interesting. But right now, I'm leaning in the middle, or big big deal or no deal, I'm leaning in the middle for Washington starting with an 0-3 record. Now, if you ask me again next week, and this trend continues, it's probably going to be a big deal. We'll just have to see how this all plays out because they do need time to play. They do need time to play together. We all know how Westbrook feels about Brooks. He likes him. I think Brooks is a good head coach. He definitely did a lot of good things with Westbrook to start his career. So this is a wait and see for me. That is why I'm kind of in the middle, kind of a little too early to tell, but 
I mean, I'm not going to be shy about saying I don't like what I've seen, especially defensively for this Wizards team. And they, to be quite honest, if they want to make the playoffs, they've got to be up on teams like the Magic and the Bulls. And we'll see if they can turn it around here. And now for our last two segments of Big Deal or No Deal, we move on from talking about teams to talking about some players that have gotten hurt. And to start this one, we already heard me mention it earlier in the podcast, we got to go to Spencer Dinwiddie, who has a partially torn ACL. And the question is, is this a big deal or no deal? And I'm going to go with this as a big deal. Now, I do think the Nets can still contend in the East, of course, even without Dinwiddie, which I don't really know if he's going to be out the whole season or if he has a chance to return. The Nets kind of haven't really told us that. I think it's going to all depend how rehab goes and everything of that nature. But this is a big deal because the Nets are a deep team, and when you take away someone like Spencer Dinwiddie, who, of course, he hasn't played well this season. I think he's only averaging like six points. But when you take away another key piece to a team and – a piece that can handle the ball, it's a big deal. It's a big deal, mainly because I think we've seen the net strategy for the season. We saw Kevin Durant and Kyrie sit out last night against the Grizzlies, and I think that's what they're going to do with their back-to-backs. I do think that they're going to have one or both sit out, and it would have really helped the squad if Spencer Dinwiddie was still in there because it gives them a ball handler. He is a He's probably a starter on any other team in the NBA and maybe even a starting point guard. So, And he does start for the Nets as well. So it, it, it's a big deal. When you're looking at teams like the Lakers with all that depth, with in the Nuggets with all that depth, and the Heat who have depth, and all those teams and all of that, it, 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 it gets tough for the Nets. It does. And now they have to ask Kevin Durant and Kyrie to do a little bit more than they're already doing. And we all know... Kyrie can be a bit fragile and Kevin Durant's coming off an Achilles. I'm not quite sure that you want to ask those guys right now to have to do more, but I think they're going to have to. Now, I didn't have them coming out of the East to begin with, but I do think this is the kind of injury that can stop them from possibly making an NBA Finals. Now, do do I think it stops them from contending in the East? No, I don't. I still think they're a top three team in the East, even without Dinwiddie, but when it comes to having that little extra piece that can push you over the edge and getting to the finals, I think it's a big deal. You hate to see it, especially in the third game of the season. It happened in Charlotte on Sunday, I believe, and you just really hate to see it for the Brooklyn Nets and for KD and Kyrie. And now we just have to see where this thing goes from here. Now we got to wonder, is Karis LeVert going to start? Are they going to keep LeVert on the bench? Do the Nets continue to kind of stagger Or do they continue to stack Kevin Durant and Kyrie's minutes, which has been one of the most interesting things so far this year? Instead of staggering those minutes, Steve Nash has been playing them and sitting them together. So I think now Steve Nash is going to have a decision to make is, well, do I stagger them and make sure I always have one of those guys on the court? And losing Dinwiddie just loses... It loses Nash's flexibility to play with this roster. I mean, you can stack Kevin Durant and Kyrie's minutes if you have Dinwiddie and Levert in the game. Now, it becomes a lot harder to do that. So we're going to see how the Nets respond to this injury, and we're going to see as more updates come out if Dinwiddie can possibly make a miraculous comeback before the season's end. But I would say it's doubtful. And for that, this is a big deal for the Brooklyn Nets. 
and I'm sure everyone has heard by now. I actually saw it live, and that is John Morant injured with a sprained ankle for the Memphis Grizzlies against the Nets last night. Those of you that saw it, I mean, I, I saw it. I kind of thought maybe this is a lot more serious than a sprained ankle. I'm actually kind of relieved for the Grizzlies and John Morant that it's just a sprain because how it looked and how Morant looked after seemed like this was going to be a serious injury. I am certainly glad that it is not. But nonetheless, John Morant is expected to miss three to five weeks. And we know this season, 72 games, it's all crunched in together. So we're going to be having about four to five games a week here. John Morant, if he misses three weeks, he could be missing up to about 14 to 15 games. And that's a big deal. I'm going to go big deal on this one in the big deal or no deal, mainly because, hey, they're already without Jaron Jackson, who is a big part of this team who balled out for them last year. And now to lose John Morant, their leader, and really their best player, I think this just shoots them right in the foot in order in terms of making the playoffs. Um, I thought that they could be a team that could fight for an eighth seed and be in that play-in tournament. I thought they could, did have that kind of potential. But now, I certainly don't see it happening. And that's if Ja Morant misses the least amount of time, which is what they're saying is three weeks. Even with the three-week, I, I still don't think that they can get in the playoffs because that's too many games. It's going to end up being about 10 to 15 games, and that's a lot of games in an NBA season with a Western Conference that is just overloaded with talent and is just stacked. I mean, the Western Conference, at the top of the conference, you're going to have a very big competition for the first five seeds. And then also at the bottom of the conference, which is a step below the top of the conference, you're also going to have a major competition at the bottom to see who can get into the playoffs. And with no John Morant, it becomes very, very hard for me to see them making it or even having a chance to get in the play-in game. So this is very, very big news for the Grizzlies. And honestly, this is not a big deal. This is a major deal. This is a major deal alert. This is bigger than a big deal because it really effectively ends the Memphis Grizzlies season, in my opinion, and it sucks. It sucks for them. They got off to a pretty nice start. It looked like they were going to be very competitive so far this year, and John Morant's one of those dudes, man. He can change a franchise, and he was on his way to doing so. All I can say is I am very glad that it's nothing more serious. I was, like I said, relieved when it was just a sprain because it looked like it could be a fracture when I saw it happen last night. But nonetheless, it's just a sprain. He will be back this year. So for that, we can be very happy. But for Memphis, this is horrible news. And this is a huge deal because now I think it effectively ends their playoff chances. But we'll have to see how it all works. Yeah, they have guys on the roster. Those guys get paid too. We'll see if they can step up. And that'll do it for Big Deal or No Deal. That is honestly one of my favorite segments to do. I guarantee you this is not the only time we are going to be doing Big Deal or No Deal throughout the season. This will come back often throughout the season. But with that out of the way, I do want to give a little shout-out to the remaining undefeated teams after one week of the NBA season. And that would be the Indiana Pacers, who started the season off 3-0 with wins over the Knicks, Bulls, and Celtics. So very impressive for the Pacers. And also the Atlanta Hawks, surprisingly 3-0. Trey Young. Trey Young's looked good. He's shooting a lot more efficiently than in the past, and he's looking very good. And I like what they're doing in Atlanta. I still don't think they're a top team in the East, but hey, 
they could they could definitely be in the bottom half and try to sneak in with the Wizards to a playoff spot. So the Hawks, good on them. Also, good on the Orlando Magic. This is a team that I still don't have making the playoffs, but nonetheless, I mean, it's impressive when you start 3-0, no doubt about it. And I like what I'm seeing from their offense and Terrence Ross, who has lit it up off of the bench, scoring 23.3 points on 53% from the three. Obviously, I don't expect him to keep it up, but hey, we got to give props where it's due with the first week of the season because we might not talk about these teams a lot throughout the year. And the last undefeated team would be the 3-0 Cleveland Cavaliers. I don't think anyone had them penciled in for a 3-0 start, but hey, they're looking pretty good. And Drummond, Drummond surprisingly is looking very good. Colin Sexton and Darius Garland are looking extremely promising as the backcourt of the future for Cleveland. So we do got to give a shout out to those undefeated teams in the NBA. It's not an easy thing to do. And although I don't think a lot of those teams will be able to keep it up throughout the season, they do need their shine because they're not going to get talked about a whole lot. So we on Above the Rim podcast will give them their due for the first week of the NBA season, and we'll see what they can do with the second week. And to end the show today, we will go ahead and look at some upcoming games to watch this week. Obviously, we start with the Bucks and the Heat. They play a couple times this week. They play tonight, and then they also play tomorrow. Those are certainly ones to watch. Also tomorrow, you got the Trail Blazers and the Clippers. The Blazers looking pretty good so far. Just beat the Lakers, and we'll have to see if the Clippers can respond. They do play tonight, the Clippers do, but we'll see. They're more of a test when the Trail Blazers come to town. We'll see how they handle that. That will be tomorrow. And then I'm looking at Thursday. What game to watch on Thursday? I think the Suns and the Jazz could be a very good one. I look at those two teams as teams that could be very comparable to each other in the Western Conference. We'll have to see how that one shakes out. And then you move on to Friday, obviously the Heat and the Mavericks. Anytime Luka's on, anytime Luka plays a good team, must watch television. This is a Friday. Also, you got the Clippers and the Jazz on Friday night. That'll be a good one. And the Suns and the Nuggets play Friday night. So we got a lot of good ones there on Friday night. We'll have to see how that all shakes out. And then we move to Saturday. We've got some good games here on Saturday. One I'm probably looking the most forward to would be the Raptors and the Pelicans. Are the, Raptor, are the Raptors going to be... I don't think they're going to be as good as they were last year, but can they be very competitive in the Eastern Conference? I think these next few games and really this next week or so will really tell us what they can be this season because I'm kind of a little bit lower on them than most people this year. I think losing Serge Ibaka and Marcus Gasol is a big deal. We'll have to see how they respond. We know the Pelicans. They're must-watch television anytime they're on. I mean, I don't know if you guys have League Pass, but I, I got League Pass, honestly, almost just to watch Zion and Brandon Ingram. You know, I think they have a chance to be a very good duo. Brandon Ingram's playing very well so far this year. And then we look at Sunday's games. The Wizards and the Nets should be an interesting one. Then you also have the Clippers and the Suns, which will be very, very interesting. So those are certainly some games to look forward to this week, and we'll have to see how everything shakes out. So we're getting things going here. The NBA games are going to be coming fast and in a fury, so definitely be prepared because that's how this condensed season is going to look four to five games a week. If you're an NBA fan, you love it. If you're not an NBA fan, you hate it, but... That's just the way it's going to be this season. But 
That'll do it for today's show, folks. It is Tuesday, December 29th. Like I said, I hope you all had a very Merry Christmas. And since New Year's Eve is on a Thursday night this year, we will not be doing an Above the Rim podcast on Thursday. This will be the only one this week. So with that, I do want to wish everyone a very good and happy New Year. I hope everyone has a great New Year's resolution. I think 2020 has given us all a time to reflect to really think about what our resolutions should be going into 2021. And I think we're all just excited to get out of 2020, right? I think we certainly are. And also, if you like the podcast, be sure to give it a follow and share it wherever you listen to podcasts, whether it be Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts, you can find it. Give it a share. Give it a like. The more, the merrier. And with that out of the way, we will see you next time.